welcome to Stepmoms Uncut podcast. Now you'll find within blended families and all the kind of self-help pages, the podcasts, the blogs, all the conversations are really centered around the adults. How is dad doing? Being pulled between birth mom and stepmom. How is the birth mom interfering in the stepmom's life? Or why can't the stepmom get it right? And you know, how does she feel better in her role? All of these conversations are so geared to the adults that actually, have we forgotten? What about the children? What about the children? In this episode, I am joined with Annette Sawanga of Sawanga Consulting, and she is a child behavioural specialist, and we are bringing the conversation back to the children. The children that don't get to pick who their step-parents are, the children that don't get to pick whether their parents stay together or not, the children that have to go through so many transitions in life, involuntary. How do we help them? How do we support them? And how do we know is if they need help? In this episode, you'll definitely find practical tips and I guess be highlighted to the ways that you can help and the things that you maybe shouldn't be doing and the things that you definitely can be. Stay locked in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Stepmoms Uncut podcast, all the way from where exactly in America are you? Oh, in the US, I am in Adelphi, Maryland. Wow. Okay, good. So the main reason why I reached out to you is because in my community of blended families, the emphasis seems to be on the adults, right? And, and rightly so, because there's a lot of disharmony between the adults. Um, and those usually are the main topics of conversation, like the, the kind of conflict that happens. But as much as we kind of hear undertones of think about the children, keep the children at the center, no one is really bringing up the children as a main topic. What actually about the children? How do they feel? How can we work with the children? How can they feel involved in like these kind of new family dynamics, whether it's the blended family or the single parent home or of divorced children, of divorced parents, sorry. So I wanted to go ahead and reach out to you and have this kind of conversation with you so that a lot of mums in blended families would love the answer to you because that is the point of this podcast. So... How do you help a child transition from a divorce slash separated home into a blended family? Um, so first and foremost, um, you want to establish um, a rapport, right? A positive rapport with the child before any kind of movement or transitions. Because as we know with young children, um, relationships are extremely important. Right. So and with their before they transition into a potentially blended home or um, anything that is outside of their familiarity. Right. Because their stability has come from their biological parents. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's where stability has come from. That's where the relationship has been built. That's where the rapport was established. You want to think of it kind of like a building. That's where the infrastructure is. Right. Right. So when you think of children they build relationships based on secure attachments. 
And the first secure attachment that they developed was with their mother and their father. Mm -hmm. Right. So oftentimes when you think about blended families or those that um, end up stepping into those parental roles, because that's what's happening, there isn't a true acknowledgement of the infrastructure that the child is coming from. So you want to look at it from the child's lens first. Right. So not the needs of the adult, but the needs of the child first. What happens social emotionally when they are exchanging relationships? What key things do they need in order to transition to someone else's care? Because that's essentially what you're saying you want to do. I want to build relate this new relationship. I would like to build it with you, right? Yeah. So in order to start that relationship, you have to build a positive foundation and rapport with the child. Amazing. That is so good. Okay, cool. From your experiences, mm -hmm. how does a child cope with meeting step parents? Is it very, very relative or generally is it well or maybe generally not so well? So it all depends, right? So as adults, what we want to do is quickly categorize so we can say, okay, you fall into this lane. This is what all children do. However, development and uh, scenarios don't work like that, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. each child is uniquely made, right? We are right. all born with um, certain temperaments, right? Not your personality, but your temperament, right? The slow to warm, um, feisty, um, maybe um, a combination right, of, of those e emotions are there. So when you learn what that temperament is of the child, then those things really come into play as they develop, regardless of the relationship, if that makes sense. So yeah. even if we're talking about a stepmom and a stepdad and a blended family, what was the temperament of the child before the transition, right? Because it's a large transition. So yeah. what you think about with children is what kind of transition am I um what am I what am I asking them to do because in reality they they don't have control over the situation and they are being asked to make a rather large transition and children already have challenges around transitions and these things have been looked at from early childhood educators to, to researchers around transitions for young children, which is why you'll see things even throughout the day if you're around children between like two and three years old and you say, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, we're gonna go from here to here, right? We're gonna go from this room to this room or we're gonna, you're gonna stop playing with this and I, I need you to go to the store with me, okay? You've asked them to leave the thing they were doing mm -hmm and do the thing that you want to do as much as they these things sound like very different things the consistency is the transition right i'm i'm in this space and you the adult want me to be in this space right so most often times with adults we have to really come down to the child's level and understand that they are moving in a way that adults are really steering most of the time, right? Yeah. So you have to think about the implications and, and where is it that you can meet them, right? So it's a partnership, right. not me telling you we're going to do this, 
but how can we do this together? Does that you see the difference? Like I'm, I'm, I want you to be a part of the process, right? Children navigate very differently when they feel like they have a hand in the decision. And you can frame it in a way that's respectful enough that says, you know what? Annette told me that we're gonna do this together. Not, I need you to do this. You, you see the difference in the language? Yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. What if you allow your child to be a part of the kind of decision of transitioning, right? But then they become stubborn and then they say, well, actually, I don't want to. I, I don't care if you're in love. <laughs> I don't want to meet this new person. And basically, I reject. I reject your new relationship. I, re I reject where you want me to go. What then does maybe the, the mother or the father that's left or the step parent do in this in this situation? How do they not force themselves upon the child, um, but then also deal with the child saying, I reject this transition? Well, again, great scenario, which happens more often than not, especially in blended families and transitions and things come up. Um, again, we're talking about adult feelings first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have to look at it from the child's perspective. That's what I'm. That's what I'm bringing here, right? I'm not. I am giving the narrative and the perspective of a child mm -hmm. first. First, so in that, that means when you say, "Okay, well, I really care about this other person, and I'd like for you to," I, really, you're saying, "I want you to care for them too." Yeah. There's a difference between saying, "I'm sharing this with my child." and me telling you, I'd like you to share my feelings about this person. Yeah. So we have to understand as adults, no, actually they don't have to. Mm. The adult has chosen these adult things, right? The things that are for adults are for adults. The conversation that's for a child should stay with a child. So when you start to present ideas and dynamics that are really above them and out of their control, then that's when I get into a power struggle, right? There's there's the power struggle now. Well, I like so-and-so and I want you to like them too. No, children don't, it doesn't work like that. They have their set of biological parents and you've asked them to, to take on another set. I can I can say to them, I respect your feelings but this is how I feel about so-and-so. I wanna share with you that I feel this way about so-and-so and I understand, name the feelings that they're giving you. Acknowledge that they're upset. Acknowledge that it makes them angry. Acknowledge that they said they're not ready. Pay attention to the language that they use. I can say that I'm not ready for something without saying that I don't, I don't like the person, mm -hmm. right? So have the dialogue with the openness to listen opposed to hearing. To listen respectfully, then I really pay attention to the way that you frame it. I'm like, oh, you know what? Priscilla's not angry at me, but she's telling me about the way that she's feeling about something, right? So the adults have to remove the emotion out of it and listen to the big feelings that the children are sharing, if that helps. Absolutely. But then what if the child is not talking? What if the child starts to exhibit their feelings in behaviors, in 
the silent treatment in I'm not coming round to your house. What, 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 how then do you he- listen to a child that is not articulating their feelings but displaying it instead? That's still communication. Hmm. That's still communication. If I stop talking to you, I'm still communicating to you that I don't want to talk to you. Hmm. The only difference is one is verbal and one is nonverbal. These are all mm-hmm. forms of communication. So we, we have to be very careful about, again, taking in what it is that we're seeing and taking in what it is also that we're hearing, right? I can right. communicate a lot to you by my body language just as much as I could if I was speaking to you, right? They, they both convey feelings. Yeah, right. So, um, one of my tips here that I'm, I'm going to share is about acknowledging those big feelings. Those are big feelings that are being shared when I decide to just mute myself. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm taking a stand. I'm not deciding to not speak because I'm nonverbal. You, you see the difference in that? Yeah. We're not talking about a nonverbal child. We're talking about a conscious decision, again, to gain control over what I can control and to communicate that to you. That's good. So then if, if a child is communicating their feelings, saying that they're not ready or they don't like or they don't want to partake, what does... So one of the questions here is, is so when a child is rejecting um, a step-parent or a transition, what then does the adult do for the child? Do they, do they leave them alone and wait until they can, you know say that I'm ready or do they kind of force it? Never force it. Never force it. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, if you think back to your own childhood, I, I'm, you know, can you tell me a time that something was forced upon you and you were and you're, and you're excited about it? Like mm-hmm. now that you're an adult, like I really, I really appreciated that they treated me that way or, or did you feel disrespected and like you're, your, your, not only is your control taken away, but you're, that's not respecting the child. So in all of these moments of these dynamics, you have to find ways to consistently respect the child. Amazing. Is this way that I'm talking, right? And, and look, you know, internally and, and really assess yourself and say, is that what I'm doing in this moment? Because if they're communicating in their actions and in, even with their words, it's about assessing why they feel that way and kind of going with, I guess, how they're showing they want to manage it. So if they don't want to talk, you're going to let them not talk. If they if they want to like scream, you're going to try and allow them to express it and then go off the back of how they're feeling currently, right? And why, why, right? The how and the why. Because behavior is communication. I'm just expressing to you how I'm feeling. So if we can continue to remember that the behavior is simply a, a representation and a form of expression, then you start to, to isolate the whys and observe really thoroughly what it is you're seeing. Because uh-huh. you're simply trying to communicate. I'm trying to communicate to you how I'm feeling about this. I'm not ready for this yet, right? Do you, do you think children under 10 can sufficiently answer the question why like if, if they're expressing some type of upset that could be triggered by 
something as large as a transition or parents divorcing, right? Do you think children under 10 can articulate why? Do I think they can articulate why, finish the rest of the question? Why they're, they're feeling upset or angry. Did you feel like they yes. can? Yeah? Yeah. And let me tell you why. So again, my in my job or in my career, I am responsible for helping young children in a, in a lot of ways, but developmentally, I have to help them with their emotions and their feelings. A lot of early childhood is focused on social emotional development, and that is what we're discussing. Mm-hmm. So as you develop and you get older, you just find the best ways in order to communicate, right, in order to express yourself. But social emotional development does not necessarily dissipate and and just uh, move out of the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as a child is communicating those big feelings, and this is what they are big feelings, they do have the ability to do so. Now, every child is unique and the way in which it comes across will vary. There is no hard copy, right, of how it will look. But the actual ability to do it, a child who's under 10 years old, absolutely, absolutely. I help, you know, toddlers all the way to five years old with, you know, language development. So if I'm helping them with language and speech development and communicating their feelings and expressing themselves, which is a large part of social emotional development, their ability to articulate themselves is, will blow your mind. Right. Because you want, want, you know, as an educator and even as a parent, you want to equip your children to be able to express themselves. So you make sure that you help them develop the skills to be able to do so. Developmentally appropriate. You gave me under 10 years old. Developmentally, these children have the ability to express themselves and convey those messages within their development for their age range. Absolutely. Okay. Do you think children from single parent homes or and blended families are emotionally burdened? You know, that's, um, it, it depends. Not all of them. Again, it's not a hard, excuse me, it's not a hard line, right? Because I myself was raised by a single mother. Um, and, and I'm one of six. And I know for a fact, just in my home alone, our ability, and I was raised with a lot of boys. So I actually had to communicate quite effectively because of that, right? I had to express those big feelings and, you know, learn to navigate and become autonomous and gain my confidence and express the way that I'm feeling and, you know, you know, get and gain that secure attachment, but understand like, oh, okay, these are, these are skill sets that were reinforced by my mom. Mm -hmm. These were things that were reinforced by my, you know, and helped by my older brothers and my siblings. So absolutely. And we're three and four years apart, but them feeding in, in terms of communication and expressing myself and all the things that I've listed are are a combination because the infrastructure, it it starts at home. Mm -hmm. 
then you then you end up in the preschools and et cetera and et cetera. But if the foundation hasn't been laid at the house from my mom, then what is the teacher building on? Okay. You see, what 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 was she building on? I didn't. She didn't. They didn't give me the speech and language when I got to preschool. I came, I came with it, right? And then and then you build on it. And every and every teacher following does that. That's a part of development. They build on what the next person did. Mm-hmm. It's collective. Mm-hmm. Right? Amazing. So there's a lot of women, a lot of I guess stepmoms that believe it's kind of an unfair label, but a label nonetheless that birth mums are narcissistic. Well, high conflict birth mums are narcissistic, right? If charity begins at home if the infrastructure the foundation what have you starts at home do children have direct effects from narcissistic parents and if they do what does that look like and what can the the non-resident parent and the step-parent do to support a child and then i think it's very interesting and i also would have to say again it also depends like how are you defining narcissism right mm-hmm. as you know it, you know i think it's defined as a person who has excessive interest like do they have excessive interest in the child or excessive interest in themselves mm-hmm. you know is there you know um are there the interest they have in themselves is it exceeding their responsibility as a parent to the child yeah so you know because then we're talking about um not necessarily neglect but we're saying that this dynamic that usually takes place between the parent and the child is distorted. Mm-hmm. So, and the question is the relationship is distorted. It doesn't necessarily have to be narcissism. So let me start there. If the relationship is distorted in terms of foundation and infrastructure, as I've been talk, talking about, right? Well, then yes, you can see certain dynamics and behaviors that a child may um, display in order to pretty ma- pretty much communicate that I'm looking for a secure attachment, but I'd have to have the specific behaviors mm-hmm. of a parent in order to really nail down and give you a hard nosed answer about that. Because what's happening at one house has absolutely nothing to happen with another, right? Like I didn't do research on narcissistic mothers of a specific age group, you know. And these are the behaviors, you know, that for X amount of time, this is what they did with the young children. Do you see what I mean? Like you need all of those variables in order to really come to a conclusion um, as a professional about something that grand, right? Right. And a little bit, in a little vague as well. Like I need, right. I need all the variables that make sense. But in you saying all of that, that also gives hope to the non-resident parent, because actually, if the non-resident parent has decided, okay, my ex is narcissistic, it could also mean that it may have no effect, no effect at all on their child. I mean, one could one could pose it. I mean, I, I can't lean on a yes and I can't lean on a no, because, again, you have to see you have to see the behaviors. Mm hmm. How is, how are the exchanges? And at the end of the day, what is the attachment like between the parents and the child, right? You could have that disposition and have wonderful attachment somehow, right? You may find out that these things, you know, my kid is extremely resilient, but we're speaking about narcissism, Mm -hmm. but somehow, you know, and the other parent 
may be able to balance out what this parent didn't give. How about that? That doesn't change. Your, it, I, it, that doesn't take away from the self-interest, right, and the narcissism. But guess what? The child's. I found it over here. This what you're saying here. I think it's one thing to hear it from me, but it's another thing to hear it from someone coming from the side of a child, right? And I think even though you can't give hard no's, yeses or no's, mm. there's still a fine space where you can get hope from what you're saying. So I guess, how can a stepmom approach this harmony between the stepchildren and the birth children? Because I've had mums um, come to me and say, you know, I don't want my stepchildren to come round because they're verbally abusive or emotionally abusive towards my birth children, or maybe the birth children are basically rejecting the stepchildren and saying, you know, you're not my real sibling X, Y, and Z. But then obviously if you guys have now blended as a family or trying to Mm -hmm. blend as a family, what then can we do to solve or support or help the disharmony between birth children and stepchildren? Well, I think first and foremost, cohesion, right? So when I talk about cohesion, the two parents have to be in unison, right? You, you can't have, you know, adults with a disconnect, but mm-hmm. you're, you're giving expectations to, to both sides of children, right? The biological and then the, the blending, right? They, they need to see what it is you're speaking of, right? The kind of like the proof is in the pudding. Like I need to be able to put eyes on the behaviors and these best practices and the routines need to be consistent. Let me, let me see this structure that you're talking about. Right. Let me see. Let me see the blended family. Right. right? We're using the term, but they're like, well, well, let me see it. What does that, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. not Not only does the adult need to paint the picture, but then the picture has to show up in real time. And I think, with a lot of things in life, right? It's it's very difficult, especially for children, to make sense of what it is that you're speaking of when I, I can't see that, right? So, so it's difficult for me to commit. So that's one. Um, another thing is I think parents need to um, show the children grace and be patient. Mm. You know, biologically, you have this secure attachment with your parents. Mm. And in some ways, it could feel as if you're asking them to choose. You don't intend to, but that is the that that may be the way that it's digested, right? Right. It, it starts to sound like this or this, opposed right. to saying this and this. You, you hear the difference? Yeah. Are you gonna, are you going to be over here? And you're like, no. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. And you'll hear some children, you know, young and as they develop that, you know, or some people that have reflected back on their childhood who have gone through divorces and, you know, they say they felt like they had to choose. No child should ever have to feel like that. Those are adult issues. Why, why, why put them through such turmoil? Yeah. Turmoil and, and, and angst, right? So you want to, we want to remove that. You want to see what things you can put in place to remove these kinds of things. Um, you need to collaborate with your partner. Have be very clear about objectives and goals for your family, right? What is it that you want to achieve, mm-hmm. and how are you? What things are you putting in place in order to achieve them? Amazing. 
amazing. So <laughs> we have now come to the end and it's been so, so good. But one thing I ask all of my guests, what golden nuggets can you leave with um, our listeners with the mind of them supporting children of divorce and separation? Okay, a few golden nuggets that I have are one, um, try not to feel guilty about the dynamics. I can't say it more than enough. I'll continue to say, be patient, be patient, be patient. It takes time. Um, do your best not to compare your dynamic to anyone else's. It takes time. Yours is your walk is your walk and only. Um, continue to build a positive rapport um, with the children that you're going to blend with. Establish it and work on it because it takes time. Again, they have established this, uh, from birth the strongest relationship they know. So just imagine what kind of work you need to put in and respect it. Think about your own parents and then go, oh, wow, I, I, wow. I can't imagine. Nobody asked me to, to, to do that. And now I'm, I'm requiring that of my child. Um, and respect the child's feelings. And last but not least, um, let the biological parent handle the discipline. It doesn't mean be a pushover, have boundaries, but you are not the disciplinarian. The biological parents are. Amazing. And those are, those are by Golden Nuggets. Amazing. They were very strong and they align with a lot of what we do when we're coaching step parents. So that that is so good. Thank you so much. I really oh, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that it brought you something real, relatable and revelational. You know your girl Coach Silla is always here for you. So if you'd like to book a one-to-one with me or join our exclusive membership space, you'll find the details in the bio to do that. Don't forget to share the podcast and tag me where you can so I can say thank you. Leave a comment and or a review. And as always, tell your partner to DM and your in-laws too. This is Stepmoms Uncut Podcast. Speak to you soon.